Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And here we are, Harry and Rory, the veritable left and right eyes of all creation, here to discuss. I know I'm bigging myself up a little bit, but we're here to discuss the uh, witch-tastic Bayonetta, Bloody Fate, based on the, uh, I guess I'm assuming the box says, best-selling video game series. You're not too far off. (laughs) <laughs> so Bayonetta, quite a uh, kind of recent iconic character. I don't know how you'd class her. She's like, she's only been in a, like three games and some Smash Brothers, I believe. But she's she turns heads, I suppose. <laughs> Is that how would you class her? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where because I guess the character and she's the name of the game and all this kind of stuff has made a sort of huge impact, I think, in terms of, as you say, being a recent gaming icon. And I think sometimes you can really see when games developers are trying to create an iconic character and maybe not quite getting it right, um, or they just gravitate towards the generic muscle-bound, lantern-jawed marine figure instead So to have a character which has, I don't know, captivated the minds of deviant artists and uh, (laughs) cosplayers throughout the land and indeed the world is is no small achievement. No small achievement indeed. Uh, This film is from 2013. And when was the first game released? The first game was released in 2009. Um, so not too soon after and the film itself basically follows the beats of the first game so um yeah as just to establish you've played the first game um what the hell's going on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because i've not i was familiar with the character and i and i gave her a bit of a world smash brothers and i enjoyed her hair centric spells but i think in discussing this film we're going to have to talk about how this film really it's weird it really does not give you any help if you are not a fan of the games but also sort of paradoxically it starts with a massive chunk of exposition which kind of explains kind of the entire plot and i didn't realize that this film was pretty much telling the story of the first game until i went to wikipedia and started reading the plot of the first game and i was like oh yeah this happens and this happens and this happens but weirdly it's reading the plot of the game i feel that certain plot twists are maybe more of a surprise in the game because it's the film is so front loaded with with plot and and the, and the background of the games and the story that I thought well yeah I mean obviously I knew that I knew that already so on that note spoilers for Bayonetta Bloody Fate and the Bayonetta games but um, after my little rambling there would you necessarily agree with what I'm saying or do you think uh, otherwise well it's hard to say because it has been a long time since. I played the first game. I guess I played it maybe a year or two after it was first released and it was uh, loaned to me by a friend who, um, I mean, it had received a lot of critical attention. It was considered um, one of the best games of that year. And as you say, you know, the fact that the character has made an appearance in Smash Brothers certainly suggests, again, not just turning heads, but raising eyebrows too. And (laughs) Um, has become 
My uh, word. Something of a, I don't know. I don't know enough about Smash Brothers, but I can't tell whether people hate her in the game or like her in the game, or she's like too powerful or needs to be nerfed or whatever <laughs> fighting game aficionados would uh, would suggest. But yes, uh, I, I'd say, I think with the, it's interesting that you say the film was front loaded with all this exposition and you still didn't really understand what was happening which suggests that the front-loaded exposition didn't work in the slightest. Well, I'll tell you, my, my wife, I was watching it with my wife because she likes anime and witches. And I thought, yeah, let's watch this together. And she started talking through the exposition. And I'm like, no, shh, 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 shh. <laughs> I'm trying to... And so I might have missed something. We'll never know what a Lumen Sage is. <laughs> well, kind of. But then, <laughs> like, they repeat throughout how the villains or the sages in this film they want to have the coming the sort of the second coming of their gods and i think that's what my wife talked over but they repeat that detail over and over again throughout the entire film so didn't miss much long since erased from the records of time there once existed two european clans who served as overseers of history for the powers that be the umbra witches dwellers of the darkness and the Lumen Sages, controllers of light. The witches serve the demons, and the sages serve the angels. Still, the clans respected each other and worked to ensure that the balance between them withstood the passage of time. One day, that balance was toppled, resulting in an era of strife. It began when a Lumen Sage and an Umbra Witch violated the decrees that bound them and produced a child together. The woman was imprisoned, and the man was banished, but that was only the beginning. And I, I think also it's one of those stories which I think we see a fair amount in movies in general, but it seems like also in video game movies quite a bit where the main character has partial amnesia or doesn't really know where they came from, and we get flashbacks within flashbacks, and literally we have the character entering a flashback. Mm. <laughs> um as well as not just experiencing them in their head, they're like literally embodied in a, in a sort of flashback realm at one point and then have a flashback within that flashback realm. So it must be very disorientating watching this film, not really knowing what's happening, but also being reminded of not knowing what's happening <laughs> like on a constant basis. But as established, this is an adaptation of the first game. And so a lot of the characters, a lot of the sequences, a lot of the story is lifted directly from that. Indeed, most of the voice actors are the voice cast from the game itself. And watching the film, having played the game some time ago, I was just like, oh yeah, uh, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, I remember that character. I remember that monster, etc." So it all came flooding back to me because my experience of the game is maybe not what most people seem to take from it. At least I did not enjoy playing Bayonetta very much at all. Oh. <laughs> um, I mean, the game has a huge following. It has considerable pedigree. It was a game developed by Platinum Games, co-founded by the director of Bayonetta, Hideki Kamiya, who is a huge figure in the Japanese games industry. He directed Resident Evil 2. He directed Devil May Cry, which was originally going to be Resident Evil 4 and then you know they changed it and ended up with Devil May Cry. He directed Beautiful Joe, he directed Okami, you know, so we're talking about really popular and successful and massive key titles in, mm. you know, the Japanese games industry. Seems so, like a, an auteur in Japanese video games. Very much so, and he's uh, also cultivated a, a certain personality particularly on Twitter in that he sort of pinned to his profile these rules that if you ask him questions he's already answered before, you get an instant blocking. <laughs> and he has this kind of very competitive personality on Twitter, though apparently in real life he's more of a softie. But to the extent that the Kickstarter for the remastered version of The Wonderful 101, I think one of the stretch goals was to get blocked by him or to get <laughs> unblocked by him if you'd already been blocked before. So... People use it as a sort of badge and a privilege if if 
they've uh, suffered his blockings. Okay. Well, out of that list, I very much enjoyed Resident Evil 2 because that's a classic. And I did play, I think, Beautiful Joe 1 and 2. So, yeah, it, did stand, it makes sense that he went on to do Bayonetta. But I thought I actually thought you liked Bayonetta, but I guess I'm wrong. But I've I've always been a bit turned off by the game because it's it's a hack and slash. But every time I watch a video, it seems so chaotic. I don't know what's going on, and maybe just it's my age because my eyesight's getting a little bit worse. But I'm just like, what am I shooting at again? I don't know. Yeah, so that was basically my experience, and why there are two sort of like key reasons why I didn't really get on with the game. And the first one was the gameplay. And I've just realized that fess up my hardcore gaming credentials do not um, pass muster when it comes to these types of games. You're an old man now. Old gamer man. (laughs) You're 30 something. (laughs) Because, yeah, it is hack and slashy, but it's also really combo heavy. It's one of those games where you really have to like link up lots of different moves and combos and press so many buttons at so many different, you know, at the right timings in order to unleash bigger combos. And it's very much one of those games you're meant to go back and play and get high scores and and things. But I don't think there was like a single stage I completed where I didn't get more than like a D ranking. <laughs> so it was just this constant... I I got to the end, I finished the game, but every single stage was met with failure. All these weapons and all these magical moves to unlock, I just never, I was like millions of points off unlocking anything to make the game in any way more fun. So it was just, I found the whole process really awful and I just couldn't wait for it to end. And I never, that's the thing, it's just like I never cracked how to play it. I just never understood the game. I, I could play the game, but I just never understood like how to actually be good at it. And I just found the whole experience very frustrating and uh, upsetting. Sounds like you're just crap and you need to go back to playing Pong. I need to get good. That's my thing. Good. No, I, I, I can see where you're coming. It seems like if I ended up playing it, we'd probably feel the same way because there's people who really enjoy like our type when every single inch of the screen is filled with enemy weapons and enemy lasers and then there's things like animal crossing <laughs> which is like, yeah. different but um i mean someone who seems to agree with me at least in the difficulty level is lady gaga <laughs> who famously tweeted all about her playing a lot of bayonetta back in 2018 (laughs) and uh she says still playing hashtag bayonetta middle of chapter 13 and my hands hurt and i have to sleep and it's four in the damn morning but this damn dragon with the face that i have to kill with my weave so much hate give it another go in the morning hashtag gamer respect to the experts i need emotional support (laughs) well i didn't expect i didn't know great um Lady Gaga was a game. I almost called her Bayonetta, but they just seem sort of very similar, perhaps, in so many ways. I can't imagine like Bayonetta singing at the inauguration of a president, though. She's not really her scene. But she mentioned the weave, though, and of course, I think one of the big deals with Bayonetta is how her clothes are made out of her hair. Have I got that correct? Yes. I think despite, so. <laughs> despite looking exactly like rubber, it's actually hair. And you mentioned cosplayers earlier. I'm assuming they are they're not wearing hairy clothing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you get a two for one with your Chewbacca costume. That's what I was thinking. Imagine Chewbacca. He, he cast a spell and then he's just all naked and things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it can't be denied that some of her bayonet's popularity is that she's... Um, She's very sexual or very sensual. Um, we're we're not here to to shame the sluts. We're not here to slut shame. I, I just I only I only use that word because I'm looking at reviews of this film on Letterboxd, and one critic says 
I do not understand the criticism for the sexist theme. Not all women are offended by a protagonist who is strong, is self-sufficient, and also wants to be sensual and provocative. Uh, the movie and game have a sensual and erotic touch, and I love that. We are in the 21st century. Women should stop feeling insulted. We are at the moment at a time in which we could be sensual and ourselves live sexuality with freedom. The fact that she's acting kind of sexy is in of itself not terribly bad but uh, maybe i'm just a bit of a prude but there was a whole heap of ass and crutch and tit shots in this film which seemed definitely for the male gaze i don't know <laughs> it's it's a hard one to necessarily sort of pinpoint what is right or what is wrong about bayonetta in in that respect I mean, we've covered the Dead or Alive movie on this podcast, so we know where this might lead to. And we thought overall that Dead or Alive had did a good job, better than the games did in terms of representation of fighting women. <laughs> because I think from moment to moment, you could be like, yes, I really understand what they're going for. And I think Bayonetta is a really strong role model in that respect. And then the next moment you could think, oh, actually, maybe that's gone too far. I think with this and I think the games, I'm generally supportive <laughs> of what they're trying to do because at no point is Bayonetta the character not owning the situation. Mm. Like she reveals herself to people. She is not being like gawped at, you know, without her owning the sort of situation. She is like confident, she is strong. And I think you can kind of see that in, for instance, the whole sort of salivatory horniness that has surrounded the tall lady in the Resident Evil Village trailers, where everyone's like, she's nine foot tall, crush me mummy kind of like, <laughs> sort of like, scenario and you know bayonetta is a very sort of statuesque figure in in that respect and yeah she's bawdy she uses a lot of innuendo she knows what she looks like and she knows how to present herself and yes you can say that the film and the game is just like well this is obviously just laying it out right and giving people what they want in that respect without judgment you know, it's it's very hard to work out what is objectification and, and what isn't. But I think generally the character of Bayonetta plays into a sort of dominatrix style, which suggests a dominant figure, I think, as you say, with the lever slash hair, etc., and owning the sexuality and not letting anyone take advantage of her and indeed being provocative and playing with people who might be leery to her but then she's like yeah what are you going to do about it about the whole thing and they're like <laughs> they get intimidated by boobs um there's definitely some stuff in this film which is you know eyebrow raising etc but i don't think there's necessarily like a mark against the film it's maybe not something you would watch with your parents but you know I'm going to go on a hunt now for reviews where people say, I watched this with my dad and we had a great time. <laughs> we really bonded. I'll bring it up like decades later at the dad's funeral, the guy will come up and speak and I'll say, I just remember those happy days watching Bayonetta bloody fate. <laughs> then taking turns to go to the bathroom afterwards. We never said why, but we knew. Rest <laughs> in peace, dad. Naughty, naughty. Just look at what you've done to my outfit. Very cheeky. Anyway, just putting a button on that, though. So the game, the film, as I mentioned, does, oh boy, does it thrust things into the camera. But the games do this too, and special moves kind of strip you away. I mean, as a player of the game versus, I guess, the action sequences of this film, did it have the same feel? Does it have the same vibe? I think generally, like in, in terms of the, the sort of the setting and the design and scenarios are very much in keeping with the game, the way the action uh, happens in terms of like the moves that she pulls, etc. And yeah, these witch spells where, you know, she she's 
stripped naked because all her hair has left her body and has decided to form a giant dog monster or something. <laughs> yeah, that happens too. The way they're sometimes stood on pillars horizontally on a vertical thing, like they're stuck there with no gravity, but they've got like a big purple witchy portal underneath them that sort of fits within the game. Uh, big floating debris in the sky and motorcycling across it. Yeah, that kind of stuff happens. So I think just like how everything is depicted is is pretty spot on in the film. But the film itself, one of the points I was making about the game, sort of aside from the gameplay, my other experience with the game is that I actually found the cutscenes really, really tedious. And I think like the opening cutscene, my experience of it probably only lasted like five minutes, but for me, it seemed to last forever and it just would not stop. And I just wanted to get to the gameplay. And then when I had the actual gameplay, I was not very good at it. And then it was just like another <laughs> cutscene which went on forever. So I didn't have a good time playing that game at all. That's kind of like going into the film. I was sort of hoping, oh, well, I didn't enjoy playing the game. But I like the story, I like the ideas, I like the concepts, I like the designs, I like the settings, Like I like the central character. My hope was that the film itself would, gameplay stripped away from it, deliver the Bayonetta experience that I was uh, hoping to obtain through the game. So that was my uh, approach going in. I just wanted to see a sexy witch. So. <laughs> A spexy witch because of her spectacles. That is true. And again, I think that's like an interesting note for the character. You don't see too many lead female characters in video games or even in movies who wear glasses. It's all contacts. <laughs> in the, I read here when designing Bayonetta, it took like a year to design over the game. And it says here, Hideke Kamiya asked the designer Mari... Shim Miyazaki uh, to design the game's characters to be fashionable with subdued features and the director wanted a modern female witch that wears glasses and wields four guns and then they spent a year trying to design other concepts I <laughs> just quite like you know he knew what he wanted basically and of course they've got the, the guns in her high heels and her hands how does she fire the ones on her heels? I mean, it could be magic. Everything could be magic, but maybe she's like wiggling her toes every single time. That's a fun thing to think about. <laughs> <laughs> she's got like, yeah, not, tri not triggers in her toes. Not explained in the film, though. So the film, the animation was produced by Gonzo Entertainment and directed by Fuminori Kizaki, who was probably best known up until this point for directing Afro Samurai. And... The Battle of the Bots I have is uh, from, I think, the Manga UK DVD release. And the synopsis reads as follows. Based on the best-selling franchise, this pulse-pounding feature-length anime shows you a side of Bayonetta you've never seen before. Twenty years after her awakening, the hottest witch in gaming history is still searching for clues that could help unravel the mysteries of her dark past. I'm just going to counterpoint that with what about Gruntilda and Banjo-Kazooie? <laughs> she's pretty hot, especially when she sucked the life wolves out of a little baby bear girl. Yes, when she uh, looks like Posh Spice. Aided in her quest by the clandestine weaponsmith Rodan and his deadly creations, Bayonetta continues to leave a trail of angel corpses in her wake. Her search for answers leads to encounters with a mysterious and eerily familiar little girl, a vengeance-obsessed journalist, and a deadly white-haired beauty that seems to know more about Bayonetta than the witch herself. Fans of the franchise won't want to miss the chance to see their favourite fantasy come to life in a killer flick packed with mind-blowing action and scandalous scenes of seduction. It's assuming that this is my favourite fantasy, is it? <laughs> I mean... I like like turkey dinosaurs, and there's there's no turkey dinosaurs in this film. So questions. I've got, this is so this is a thing where there's a lot of information, but I've got loads of questions. <laughs> despite the amazing amount of exposition at the start, first of all, like so. I mean, I think I mentioned this earlier. I was like dancing around it. 
so there's loads of exposition at the start, and it talks about how, and I'm going to try and get this straight in my head, there were two kind of races in Europe, uh, the sages and the Umbra witches. And they were living in peace, even though they were kind of, one, one worships the light and one worships the dark. And then a sage and a witch had a child. Didn't say who the child is, but it's fucking Benarionetta, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and and then... <laughs> and that's as and, far and as you got. That's as far as I got. But what I'm saying is that this... I feel it in the film, because of Bayonetta's amnesia, she spends the whole film wondering like who this little girl is who also has really long black hair and glasses and looks like Bayonetta as a girl. <laughs> um and like the main villain of the piece, um what's his name? Balder. Balder, he's like the head sage and it's to, to no one's surprise he is the father of Bayonetta and I just want to I guess what I'm reaching for is I think the film would have, even though every twist is so flipping obvious, it would have held my interest a little bit more if I didn't have this exposition at the start, if the information was sort of passed out during the film. But it sort of kind of isn't. And so it took me ages to work out that Bayonetta was fighting angels because I kind of got the fact that she was on the side of darkness. But it just taught me... I can't remember if they ever said that she was fighting angels until like a good halfway through the film. Well, the end of the exposition ends with the narrator saying, 500 years later, the witch who hunts angels okay. has returned. Right. Okay. I, 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 uh, I, I hold my hands up there, <laughs> but like within like 30 seconds or maybe even less, I wasn't using, I wasn't timing it, but I knew right away this little girl who appears halfway through the film and starts calling her mummy was gonna be bayonetta and is that the little kid is in the game isn't she yeah and is it that obvious right away that she's bayonetta i think so i couldn't remember the details of the game and as i was watching the film i was reminded of that but they've kind of now blurred into one so Mm. i couldn't possibly say like oh this isn't the game this isn't in the game but Yes, I think all the characters you see, like Cereza, Luca, Jean, Boulder, everything they do and all the plot twists and reveals are pretty much as you see in the game. So, okay, but it just makes Bayonetta look stupid because <laughs> it's like, I don't know, maybe you don't, I don't, you're not in the business of really notice, expecting to meet your younger self. When it turns out that she finds out that it's her as a little girl. I don't know whether her reaction is very shocked, though. It seems like she's sort of just like always kind of maybe knew, but just, I don't know, didn't really care. She knew enough to have a bath with her. I was just watching the scene when like the most naked she's ever been, she's sharing a bath with this other little girl. And I was, I just turned to my messes and was like, is, is that weird to have a bath with a strange child? <laughs> So I don't know if it would be less weird to have a bath with your your naked younger self. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess the only way of finding out is getting into a time machine and, and, and seeing what happens. But uh, That I'm didn't not... happen in Back to the Future. <laughs> no, gosh. Well, that, yeah, although that's the... Oh, dear. I'm just <laughs> imagining scenes now where Marty and Fly is having a bath with his mum and... <laughs> it's a very different Back to the Future when they sort of the inverse style of Back to the Future where Marty goes, Well, I figured, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, but any, anyway, it's not so bad. Turns out I think she wasn't actually naked, was she? She had sort of several strands of hair over those um precious, precious nipples that we're not allowed to see. But anyway, bit weird. Moving on. Like amnesia, okay? Amnesia. You know, it's that old trope, isn't it? But I was thinking, as you were describing her hair powers and all this stuff, I was thinking, so when did she discover her hair powers? I'll give the film that she somehow knows she's a witch upon awakening. But can you imagine just going to the hairdresser and then suddenly this 
enormous demon appears out of a weave and starts devouring everyone in the salon. It's a little bit strange. Some people just have a calling in life and <laughs> they don't have to wait around for someone to tell them. I suppose so. Did anyone ever tell you that you're pretty damn bossy for someone who can't even remember her own name? Her name is Bayonetta. That's the name you gave her, Rodan. 20 years ago, she woke up stuck in a casket at the bottom of a lake. But she's still one big mystery. The only thing she remembers is that she's a witch. I mean, killing angels and offering them up to demons is great and all. But as long as she's working her ass off, she might as well make some money. If I needed a biographer, you wouldn't be my first choice. So first things first, did you like the film? Not very much, no. Okay. So we're going to try to put a positive spin on this. We're going to try not to moan for the next half an hour. But, but did you like the film? I really, really hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll caveat this by saying... We don't want all these Bayonetta fans immediately no, switching no, off now. I will, I will carry out. I think I, probably... I already I already tested them by saying I did not like playing the beloved game itself. <laughs> so well, the film now, you know, because I have we haven't pissed off enough people on this podcast. I had spent the rest of the day before watching Zack Snyder's Justice League, which came out this weekend, and I well, let's just say. I spent like th- three hours that day watching a very repetitive film where one superpowered person punches another superpowered person into a wall. The wall collapses. The hero gets up slowly and then flies back at, at, into the other side of the frame and, and to re- rinse and repeats. And then I thought, well, I watched Bayonetta now. And then it, it was the same thing. Every single fight is it's got that choppy anime fighting where it's just every other frame seems like still and every time when someone gets zapped they get hit against the wall and then they use their magic to zap the other person and just went on and on and on and on and on and it was just like i just just want to watch come dine with me or something (laughs) just just want to i think that's yeah i think that's my kind of like one of my main strikes against the film and again this was something which i thought oh i don't have to play the game so i can just like enjoy the kind of like the world of Bayonetta but a lot of the action is is that sort of like over the top but completely weightless bonkers action where it's just two very super powered people every single move matches the other person's move so it's just lots of block 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 and there's no like threat or state and yeah like you watch superhero movies and yeah you you don't you don't expect you know suddenly some random alien to like punch captain america in the face and he's just like falls over just like ow and like starts <laughs> bleeding out of his mouth and he's just like oh. he's got a first aid kit like, no, hold on i wasn't ready let me just pick myself back up have another go and but this like half the film was that every five minutes there was like another even bigger monster battle and you're right there was like i never never felt at any point that bayonetta was in any sort of trouble i think the only time where i i did like the action is towards the end when you do have this cosmic battle of celestial beings i mean like the stakes are pretty high at that point we're talking about armageddon um but (laughs) i think you have the scale and that adds a lot to feeling the impact and the weight of the punches and the throws and the grapples and everything that's happening there. So that part I, I liked because just of the, like that went so over the top, it went into outer space <laughs> and like planet sized gods tussling. Yeah. Makes a bit, a bit of a difference. There's not, I mean, it's not completely about merit. I liked it when, I liked it whenever her monsters appeared out of her weave. That's kind of cool. Could have happened a bit more. It's, it was kind of her, it's her unique selling point. And she pulls a giant chainsaw out of her hair at one point. Magic chainsaw. That's pretty cool. That's that sort of thing from the game, isn't it, as well? You have to stop asking me it's from the game, isn't it, as well? Because... <laughs> 
either it definitely is or I do not know. <laughs> All right, I'll stop that. I, you know, it was a rhetorical question because I think I read that it's from the game, that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> um, but so yeah, I liked it when it was creative, but a lot of it was pointing guns, firing a million bullets at somebody, and na- you, no one gets sort of hit at all. There's no like, oh, ah, he. <laughs> So yeah, it it was um a bit of an uphill struggle. I mean, even Bayonetta herself doesn't seem overtly concerned with getting a memory back. I mean, I, I I'm okay with amnesia normally in the film, but it's when sort of they remember things at opportune moments to just to advance the plot, which I find especially irritating, and that seemed to happen uh, a few times during this film as well. Like Bayonetta doesn't really care too much about her past or where she's come from. She seems, I mean, if she does, she's hiding it because I think her personality is very much like, I don't care. I'm just doing what I'm doing and having as much of a good time doing it as possible. And see, that's I like the character of Bayonetta. I like the attitude. I like the 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 voice actor. Yeah, I the like voice how. She presents herself and how she just kind of like gets on with life, even though she has to like fight giant angels who are trying to take over the world. So all those elements I I enjoy about her. I just think, yes, this whole backstory flashbacky stuff just like gets in the way. I mean, it just doesn't add anything. It's like, why can't you just know from the start, oh yeah, my dad wants to take over the world and I've got to stop him. We don't need the reveals to get us to there because she doesn't seem to care very much. There's no inner torment or anguish about having to do battle with her father. She's like quite on board as soon as it becomes <laughs> apparent that's what she needs to do. So like, if she doesn't care, why should we care? It just feels like there's... I think the world is interesting, but maybe the story just really isn't. But that's the thing. I, I, I like what I find very interesting about the game in terms of its story and setting is that you are playing a witch who is serving the powers of hell. Effectively, she is on the side of demons, and you spend the game killing angels. You kill heavenly celestial beings, and the way they're presented, you have all this like choral music you have like shard of light appearing through the clouds you have these white and gold beautiful elegant creatures with trumpet laser cannons and cherubic masts and all this Mm. kind of um it's eerie it's it's eerie it's 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 creepy but it's beautiful and it's Mm. it's it's meant to be in a way provocative because I think it's different because like in Japan particularly, there's like this interesting, weird relationship with Christianity. It's not really a thing there. It exists and has done for, you know, many centuries, but you know, it's 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 considered more like a sort of playground for creative ideas. So, you know, you have things like the Shin Megami Tensei series of which Persona is a spin-off. And a lot of people talk about how there's like a trope in anime and a trope in Japanese video games where the final boss is God and you must destroy him. And like a lot of people reference the Shin Megami Tensei games as being part of that. Like, you know, you play a demon and you have to destroy heaven. I mean, that's actually the main objective in real life though, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, it's what I'm fighting every day. Yeah, to kill God at the very end of, <laughs> of existence. Uh, you know, a, a lot of it's just like, oh, a Judeo-Christian set dressing rather than really sort of like engaging with it on a um, theological level. But I, I think the games take and the film in a way takes this whole scenario fairly seriously. It's not just like, you know, like Gabriel with a, a halo and a harp kind of stuff. Like it's, it's, it's interesting the design and the approach and the style that it has. And I really like what it's setting out to do. I just find the actual way it then sort of proceeds with all this interesting stuff just quite boring. The fun's just getting started. So the film kicks off 
at a cathedral and this this game's set in like a fictional european is it country or is it city or yeah i think that it's the grid is the name of the city it's it's one of those things again like with japan and europe i would love to live in japan's interpretation of europe yeah i think this is kind of in a like it seems to be set in like a visual k music video or something where it's all this like gothic version of versailles um you know idea and i guess you know part of this is meant to be a little bit like vatican italy kind mm. of uh because of the nature of the of the um religious iconography another car pulls up to the cathedral and uh, as i said i was watching one of my misses and she's like oh the animation's nice oh that's a nice car <laughs> and uh, inside the car is luca who's well, he, he's kind of the audience surrogate because literally one of the first things he says is the fuck is going on here, which <laughs> kind of said, yep, that's that's the film in a nutshell. <laughs> so he does, he's pursuing a Bayonetta who is at this point disguised as a nun. So to paraphrase, paraphrase another podcast, she is a nun to cover, but she's there to attract, I guess, angels to fight and... We learn later on that's the reason why Luca is pursuing Bayonetta is that he holds Bayonetta responsible for the death of his father, isn't doesn't he? Yeah, it's a Chun Li and Bison situation in that he's yes, like that consumed. <laughs> it's a classic text in the games on the film podcast, but in the sense that Luca is consumed by his father's death, whereas Bayonetta is just like. I don't know what you're talking about. And frankly, I don't care. So basically when Bayonetta was awakened 20 years ago, his father, who was an investigative journalist looking into this whole Umbra Witches, Lumen Sages backstory and history seemed to just explode when he was scuba diving for Bayonetta's coffin. My father exploded. (laughs) I thought his arms got ripped off, but anyway. Well... His limbs exploded, but his torso and head are fine, I guess. <laughs> but considering he's a journalist, it's it's one of those things in movies where photographers take awful photos. Like he's just snapping really bad out of focus uh, yeah. pictures, um, which would be completely useless in any situation. Yeah. Hold the front page, the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a blurry photo of my feet. But... <laughs> While it was happening, we've got nothing else. <laughs> so, but while this photo was taken, there was a witch shooting angels in the face. I promise. Mm-hmm. Just try and imagine it. Full story, pages two, three, <laughs> four, five. Yeah, big action sequence on the old cathedral. I got a question. Um, I'm sorry, this is related to the games, but I, maybe you got a hint from the film. I mean, that the film should really be exist to pass information to the audience but it was not helping me but it seemed to me that when these fights take place they happen on a different astral plane so sometimes other people were ghosts and sometimes they weren't i think like people can't see the angels uh bayonetta can and then later on in the film luca can see the angels once given bayonetta's little version glasses um and there is certainly like you're walking around in areas and there are like ghostly figures around which suggests you are kind of between realms to an extent but I, the I, film just doesn't acknowledge that happening at all like i had to really just join the dots and yes i know this opens up me up to being like oh you're stupid you need everything spoon fed to you i mean i just think it's important to know when you're on a different astral plane <laughs> You know, it's important, kind of important stuff. But yeah, so there's this big shootout sequence where she ices a bunch of angels. And the music in this is very kind of like jazzy. Um, in the game itself, there's a remix of Fly Me to the Moon, which plays in every single action sequence pretty much See. in the game. So it's just like, as soon as you fight any angels, it's fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. This has its own original theme, but there are some other musical hints. So we get a little bit of Moonlight Sonata, I think. I did. I noticed that, yeah. 
And uh, later on, there's this big action sequence with this chase along a bridge and a highway, and then it goes into a sort of underwater channel tunnel situation while Bayonetta is motorcycling, trying to defeat an angel mobile of some description. (laughs) Um, And then she's chased by a giant angel snake dragon thing in the sky. And the music is that plays is uh, the theme from Afterburner, which uh, is taken also from the game. So you're playing the game and you're doing this hack and slashy shooting stuff. And then there's a motorcycle sequence, but the music that plays is from Afterburner in the game. And it sort of controls like hang on or super hang on. Mm -hmm. And it's actually like a fun, you know, driving interlude, which breaks up the rest of the stuff. I think uh, later on there's stuff with missiles as well, which is a sort of similar scenario, but um, I didn't expect the Afterburner theme to make an appearance in the film as well. So that was kind of a fun little gaming nostalgia moment. Was that your favourite bit? It was a bit. <laughs> Let's not play favourites. <laughs> you mentioned motorcycles. I've always been a bit dismissive of some of the fighting in this. There's some creative fighting when I think Bayonetta is fighting a, a rival witch, Jeanne. Uh, but Jeanne is riding a motorcycle and Bayonet is sort of like fist fighting with a motorcycle <laughs> for, a mo- for a hot minute. I enjoyed that. That's on top of a train, isn't it? Yeah. And I I do like the rivalry that they have. Again, less so when it is just them throwing the same punch and the same kick to each other and the action sequence is just feeling very repetitive as a result. But the fact that you have these two characters who are very composed and confident and well, the quips aren't exactly, you know, anything to write home about. I mean, she, she, she speaks like she's narrating Euro trash. Does our Bayonetta. <laughs> when, when they have that sparkiness between them, the film comes alive a little bit more, I think. Yeah. I still don't know why John hates Bayonetta or as a rival to Bayonetta they joined forces at the end because that's what happens I guess well the whole past backstory is that Jean was like a rival witch in like I guess witch academy she's the worst witch and it is the charge of all witches to protect the left eye which Bayonetta is she is the left eye and Balder her father is the right eye when brought together this will resurrect Jubileus who is the god that will combine the earth world plus Paradiso and Inferno to start anew or something. Was, yeah, he kept like every few minutes we have Balder saying, we're going to create a new world. And I'm like, what's wrong with this one? <laughs> he sounds a lot like Ian McShane, but he's not Ian McShane. He is you a false get, god. <laughs> you can't get Ian McShane, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, he'll do, <laughs> he'll anything. do anything. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do anything for uh, to lend a bit of gravitas to any piece of shit. <laughs> we love you, Mr. McShane. We love you. Um, what's his name? Oh, I forgot. Forget it. Forgot his name with the leather coat. You know who's the antique? Neo. No, <laughs> oh, Lovejoy. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, we love you, Lovejoy. Is trying to get at, but I couldn't pull that <laughs> reference out of the eighties. <laughs> McShane playing Neo in the Matrix. Oh, mercy. The two eyes that oversee the world are about to be reunited. The resurrection of the creator Jubileus is at hand, and all of the angels are restless. The followers of Light are agreed. It has been decided. She will be sacrificed in order to awaken the left eye. Light, dark, human, all the strife, all the struggle, everything for the creation of a new world. Yeah, like his plan is to create this new world of order, but in doing so, you have to basically wipe out everything that exists. And I guess Bayonetta has an issue with that. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the whole idea of like chaos you know, our chaos is preferable to your destructive order or however you want to phrase it. They probably phrase it a lot better in the film than I am right now. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's quite. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just. A bit, I'm already being a little bit distracted. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like the bare minimum sort of square pair goes into square hole style plotting. You know, the villains are shit. He wants to create a new world, and we this protagonist has to stop them because they're the protagonist. <laughs> I'm sort of really undercooking it. I don't know. I, was, I just wrote here, I am so fantastically bored, even with the split-second ass shots. Was that, so was there anything you enjoyed? Is there something we can focus on a bit, a line of dialogue, or something that can bring you back on board the Bayonetta train? Well, you know, I, I do... I, again, if the plotting and the characters and the motivations all seem a bit meh, I still think the world is interesting. I do like um rodan's bar um which is known as the written here the gates of hell bar mm-hmm. i do like a, a a sort of underground society in the film and there's just one other member one other person in the bar a guy called enzo and is he sort of like an informant or something i think his role uh, he doesn't really appear much in this film but his role in the game is that he's an undertaker, I think, and Bayonetta yes. is actually a nun. So I assume I thought that she she's... was undercover, but she's full blown a nun, isn't she? She she apparently is, um, and so she performs funeral rites, I think, and so all these bodies are stacking up, and she performs last rites for, you know, as a day job, I suppose, when she's not blasting angels out of the heavens. So Rodan's sort of introduced as the sidekick of Bayonetta in that opening fight, but he spends most of his time at his bar, which just seems to have two people in it, Bayonetta and Enzo. But he also designs the guns. And, you know, it's such an anime thing to have guns with elaborate names. But I suppose that's something from the games. I'm sure you upgrade the guns and that. So what I'm saying, I mean, it's just roundabout way of saying I still find the world interesting and weirdly even though i found this quite a difficult 90 minutes if the film was a bit longer and there was more time to sort of spend time in the world i'd find it perhaps more engaging but we just get glimpses of these interesting ideas i'm 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 kind of when you mentioned that in the game bayonetta is is an actual nun and she does funeral rites. I would have loved to see the funeral with Bayonetta just living her life, I suppose. <laughs> Getting out of her. Maybe, maybe, maybe she'll get to live her life now that she's a uh, defeated God. I literally can't, <laughs> I can't remember if she even defeated God in this film. <laughs> what about you? What are, the, what are the bits you, um, you, despite not liking it terribly much, or are there bits that you you genuinely enjoyed? Uh, less bits. I mean, I I think there's a very cute black cat at one point. <laughs> it's a cat. I like the cat. It's, there's a very happy black cat. It's it's nice to see. It kind of meows very sweetly at Bayonetta, and yeah, I enjoyed that. It's nice that there's a few little nods, like for instance, Bayonetta's complaining about the weapons that she's been given and says, hope the next one's all better or I'll need to put a chainsaw on my arm, which I guess is an Evil Dead 2 reference. I know. I thought that might be the case. There's a, a, at one point she drives past a sign which has Vigrid is a destination, but there's also Arkham and Dunwich on the list. Yeah, so the old Lovecraft, Lovecraftian mythos. Little bit of stuff I mean, happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I'll do. I'll put a Lovecraft reference into this. That'll be original, unique. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. Grasp. It sounds like we're grasping at straws. As I said, like the way it all kind of culminates in this big celestial battle, and how you have Jubileus, this god figure, resurrected, Bayonetta as the left eye, Boulder as the right. And then Jean shows up and... I'm not dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> we thought she died earlier. <laughs> yeah. Releases Bayonetta from uh, being imprisoned in Jubileus. And then they combine their witchy hair powers to create a kind of hairy Shiva destroyer of worlds. 
<laughs> and I'm looking up at this all going, that's neat. <laughs> and you know, you have a bit where Bayonetta says, don't fuck with a witch. Don't don't fuck with a witch. Because you'll create, especially if you're a sage, because then you'll create a Bayonetta. It's something to engrave on the side of your broomstick. <laughs> um, yeah, scratching it on the desk at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately it all culminates with using their witchy powers and Bayonetta pulls out, I guess, from her cleavage, maybe? I can't remember. She put it in there, and maybe she pulled it out from there. But she has this lipstick bullet, which was given to her by her mother as a dying wish, which she then uses to shoot her dad. <laughs> yeah, side, sidebar. Also, Bayonetta didn't kill Luca's dad. It was Bayonetta's dad who killed Luca's dad. So he, but he's responsible for all the bad things. Yeah, anything wrong that happens to you, just mm-hmm. blame Balder. You stubbed your toe. Thanks, Balder. <laughs> <laughs> and so dies the last sage. And then we get a little postscript where Bayonetta has apparently disappeared, but she and Jean are actually still fighting angels somewhere. Luca has published his dad's findings and it's not selling very well, <laughs> is what he admits. <laughs> Yeah, what a, what a waste of your life. Well, what, what have we done for the last twenty years? Well, I was trying. I was chasing the wrong person who killed my dad. I thought they killed my dad, but it was some other guy. And then I released a book, which didn't sell very well. <laughs> like John at the end says, like I, it's still hard to believe you're a nun. And John also says, I'm perfectly happy teaching high school. So again, that, that's like suggests in between all this motorcycling on top of trains and having fights with angels she i don't know teaches religious studies maybe (laughs) well we are none the wiser (laughs) oh god well help me i just don't know how to wrap this up in a pin i think i think we're coming to the end aren't we but i want to i want to end on a slightly more positive note i'd like to end on a slightly more positive (laughs) note but it sounds like you're not going to (laughs) as always we like to celebrate video game movies. It is very difficult sometimes <laughs> to celebrate them. I know there are some people out there who like this film and this just they get to see Bayonetta in an animated form. <laughs> We're sort of really like damning with fake praise here. I don't know. It's, it was never going to happen, was it? I'm, I'm sort of... There's a film coming out based on the DS video game The World Ends of You, which I'm looking forward to see. But I think it's a struggle when you sort of try and adapt a video game so, ironically, religiously uh, from the original text. I think we quite enjoyed the Professor Layton movie, didn't we? Because it was mm-hmm. its own plot. And I wonder if I would have enjoyed a Bayonetta film a bit more if it wasn't trying to for- fit all this video game plot into a movie. You know, it's quite ironic. It used to be the problem where video games don't really have a plot and you have to create one if you want to make a movie but here i just felt i was i was missing loads by not actually playing it and i guess the greatest crime of this movie and i guess from your description of the game has really put me off engaging with the games ever so <laughs> that's a shame isn't it it definitely does feel like there are certain elements which if you had removed from the film the fans would be you know up in arms but they make no sense and don't serve any purpose in the film. Like the whole Cereza stuff, like the little Bayonetta girl version, she appears and then hangs around with them all this time. And then she says, good night, daddy, bedtime, and disappears again. And the whole explanation for her being there is Boulder just saying, I wanted you to see the world through pure eyes so that I could convince you to then destroy it, I suppose. <laughs> um it makes no sense. And I'm sure in the game, if I, you know, I wish I could remember, it probably f- feeds in like better and, and segues nicer and smoother just because the game, obviously the playtime is a lot longer than watching a movie. So it all feels truncated. But as much as I enjoyed, actually, I quite liked the sort of Bayonetta Cereza relationship. I thought, despite the fact that she found her incredibly annoying and spent the whole time saying, don't call me mummy. Mm. It added like this different dimension. 
to the story and the character and was, you know, quite light and silly and... I think yeah. characters become interesting when they're outside their comfort zone. So yep. that's why that works. Because up until that point, Bayonetta had just been sort of hanging out with wicked cool people the entire time. You know, even Luca is still kind of, I don't know, he he's still like a, an adult, <laughs> a grown man. So yeah, it was, in, despite the fact that she was very annoying, the little girl going mummy, mummy, mummy a lot. Yeah, I agree. That was it was just a bit different. It wasn't expected. It's one thing I didn't really expect a little kid to show up. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's doesn't really serve any purpose to the story here, even though there's some nice moments in it. Do you live with your mother, little one? You know, I don't. I've lived all by myself forever and ever and ever. Then your mother hates crybabies too. But I'm not a crybaby. Mummy. Why don't you ever come to visit me? Why did you leave me on my own? I don't know why, little one. And I wouldn't know because I'm not your mother. Mummy's stupid. Mm. I agree. Maybe a Bayonetta movie where she does something else, but where do you go from, you know, killing God or thereabouts? But I don't know. I haven't played Bayonetta 2, the game. I probably never will. You kill you kill God's son. I think he's called God Junior. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is is that there's no reason for me to not like this film. Like I I I don't think there's anything wrong on a sort of production level on even like a voice acting level or a style or design like f- objectively standing back from it I should have enjoyed it a lot more but I don't know what it was, but the process of watching it just, I found really tough to get through. I found it just too much and not enough at the same time. Mm. On that note, I'm sorry we are Bayonetta fans. We we do we do want to love, we do want to be lovers, not haters. But um, we also like watching good films sometimes. <laughs> Uh, films that we enjoy anyway yeah because we enjoy bad movies too well that's the thing in just i guess to wrap this all up i mentioned i watched justice league earlier Zack snyder's justice league and I, I spend a lot of time on the internet discussing the pros and cons of of such an endeavor but nobody knows that i do a podcast where i review video game movies <laughs> and i can't speak with any sort of authority on how good the snyder cut is so yeah just take that under advisement boys and girls yeah we're gonna have the bayonetta fans baying for our blood bayonetta. Mm. yep yep i saw where you're going with that but what are we doing next time on games on film harry well, we've just been talking about a video game movie based on a game that you're familiar with, at least uh, distantly. But next up, we're going to tackle a game series which I hold very dear to my heart. We'll be doing the animated movie Mass Effect Paragon Lost, based on the Mass Effect franchise. So I'll do my best to key you into the lore. I mean, you could, if you wanted, play full f- three full epic video games between now and next episode but you know (laughs) but we're doing this in celebration of uh, the upcoming release of the legendary edition uh release of mass Effect. great looking forward to it i hope it will be good (laughs) (laughs) yes let's um at least a two and a half star film maybe (laughs) so in the meantime though how can people keep in touch with games and film You can find more information about video game movies and this podcast on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. We are on social media. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Instagram too, at gamesonfilmpod. So do follow us on those social media channels for more information about the podcast. And we do also keep you informed about the latest goings on in the video game movie world. You can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And we are also individually on Twitter. I'm at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. 
And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. You can find all episodes of the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Acast. So please do like, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Preferably not with too many Bayonetta fans in case we get a lot of hate mail. Mm, well, you know, we fucked with a witch, didn't we? We were told, don't fuck with a witch, and we very much did. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to say the F word again. Let's bring it back to maybe the PG world of Mass Effect. <laughs> PG? I don't know. Isn't that I the game where you have sex with aliens? That's, it's, it is, yeah. <laughs> so we'll discuss that next time. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye, Bayonetta. Bye. <laughs> Bye bye and it's a bye. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs>